In Acts chapter 20, we find something unique in the book of Acts. It's a speech from the Apostle Paul. That's nothing new. But it is the first and only time that Luke records Paul's words to fellow Christians. It, Paul is returning at this point to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey. And he gathers the elders of the church in Ephesus to talk to them. It's a really emotional moment. After Paul's speech and a time of prayer, Luke says that there's a lot of weeping and embracing that's going on. But within this speech, Paul also says something very revealing about his future, what's going to happen to him. And now, behold, he says, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, this is a fascinating comment for a number of reasons. First, Paul's description of being guided by the Holy Spirit. He says that he is constrained, he is bound. In letters like Romans and Philippians and Titus, Paul will describe himself not just as an apostle, but as a slave of Christ. And this language here is very similar. Paul is saying he's not just instructed or told what to do. He is compelled. He is bound to follow the Spirit. More than that, though, there is a, a really fascinating parallel going on here between what Paul says and Jesus' own life. In chapter 9 of his gospel, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. This is a real turning point in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 9, verse 51. And this phrase about Jesus turning, setting his face toward Jerusalem, it doesn't just mean that Jesus intends to go there, but that he knows what awaits him there. He knows the persecution, the, the, the suffering that he must endure when he arrives in Jerusalem, and he's preparing for it. And now, here in Acts chapter 20, Paul too says he's going to Jerusalem, and he says that he doesn't know what will happen, but that the Spirit tells him that it will involve suffering and imprisonment. And this statement, this proves to be a very prophetic statement. In the very next chapter, Paul is arrested in Jerusalem, and he remains a prisoner for the rest of the book of Acts. The last eight chapters of the book of Acts feature Paul. Paul is the main person, but Paul in the last eight chapters is not simply an apostle, but a prisoner. He is an apostle in chains. So that's what we're going to talk about in this session. First, we're going to look at what happens to get Paul arrested. Why is he arrested? And second, what does Paul's imprisonment teach us about the mission of the church? So first, what actually happens? Why is Paul arrested and imprisoned? Luke tells the story in Acts chapter 21. And once again, it involves a riot breaking out, just like we studied in our last session. This time, however, the riot isn't at the temple of Artemis. It's at the temple in Jerusalem. After arriving in Jerusalem, 
Paul is told by James and the fellow apostles there, he's told to spend a week going to the temple with some other Jewish Christians for ritual purification. And the apostles think that this will help to quell the rumors going around that Paul is trying to encourage people to abandon the law. And so that's what Paul does. And while he's in the temple, there are some Jews from Asia, probably from Ephesus, and they see Paul in there, and they begin to say that Paul has profaned the temple by bringing Gentiles into it. And this is a really serious charge, actually. Gentiles, non-Jews, they were allowed in the outer court of the temple in Jerusalem, but they were forbidden from entering the inner court. In fact, we have archaeological evidence from a piece of this temple, Herod's temple, which is engraved with a warning that reads, No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the temple and enclosure. Anyone who is caught trespassing will bear personal responsibility for his ensuing death. Now, Luke makes it clear that this charge about Paul bringing a Greek into the inner court of the temple, this isn't true. Yes, Paul was seen with someone named Trophimus, a Gentile, earlier, but he didn't actually bring him into this inner holy part of the temple. And yet, even though it isn't true, we shouldn't too quickly dismiss the charge that Paul is flouting and disrespecting Torah. After all, it's not the first time that this has come up. Everywhere Paul has gone, it seems that he has provoked controversy among Jews. Not all of Jews, of course. Some accept his message. But inevitably, it seems that there are others who view Paul and what he's saying as a danger. Paul is some kind of dangerous blasphemer. The question is why? Well, it seems that just as Paul's message about Jesus as Lord, this Jesus uh, who God has raised from the dead, being the true Messiah, being Lord, this message wasn't just a challenge to Greeks and Romans. It was a challenge to Jews as well. Paul, of course, doesn't renounce Judaism, but he does redefine it entirely around Jesus. As the Acts scholar Joshua Jipp puts it, Paul's ultimate allegiance to the resurrected Messiah results in a radical reconfiguration of the meaning of his Jewish heritage and sacred scriptures. There are two ways of being faithful Jews. One that defines Judaism entirely around Torah and temple, and one that defines faithfulness to Judaism as obedience to the resurrected Messiah, Jesus. This was not a welcome message to all Jews. And when Paul went to Jerusalem, he knew what the likely consequence would be. And just as he predicted, he was harassed and arrested. He faced affliction and imprisonment when he arrived at the temple. And the next session, we'll look at how Paul uses this time of imprisonment as an opportunity for preaching the gospel. For now, though, I want to think about what we can learn from Paul and from his experience as a prisoner. It's not just that he was arrested and taken into custody. This, of course, has happened to Paul before. We've already read stories about it. But as I said, after this arrest, 
Paul is never again freed. He remains a prisoner for the rest of the book of Acts. During this time, he is beaten and shipwrecked. He experiences attempted murder on his life, a poisonous snake bite, near starvation. What does all of this incredible suffering of one man, what does it say about Christian discipleship? What does it teach us about the mission of the church? Uh, These are not questions that we must answer by ourselves. In his letters in the New Testament, Paul himself reflects on his experience as a prisoner. And there is a lot that we can learn from what he says from these reflections. Uh, Two lessons in particular that I want to highlight. First is that Paul regards his imprisonment not as a curse, but as a blessing. This might sound kind of strange. After all, doesn't Paul attempt to defend himself in acts against his accusers, even going so far as to appeal to Caesar so that he may be released? It hardly seems like the actions of a man who thinks his imprisonment is a blessing. That's true. And it's also true that sometimes, such as in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul can speak very honestly about the hardships that he has experienced as an apostle. But even though he doesn't seek out imprisonment, even though he can be pretty brutally honest about how much suffering his vocation as an apostle has brought him, even so, he still regards his imprisonment as a blessing. You can see this if you look at the letters that he wrote while he was imprisoned. The letters of Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. These four letters are often referred to as the prison letters because they were written during Paul's imprisonment. And when you read them with that in mind, keeping in mind where Paul was when he wrote them, there's several things that will immediately strike you. The first is their tone. Each one of these letters is filled with numerous expressions of thanksgiving and celebration. On multiple occasions, Paul even gives thanks for his own condition as a prisoner. In Philippians, for instance, after giving profuse thanks for all of the Christians there in Philippi, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. To the Colossians, he says that he rejoices in his suffering for their sake. He tells the Ephesians not to lose heart over his suffering because, again, it is for their glory. Whenever Paul talks about his own condition of imprisonment in these letters, the hardships that he is facing, it's never to complain or elicit sympathy from his readers. He always does it to give thanks for how he is suffering and how his suffering is actually advancing the gospel, this message that he has. And that leads me to the second lesson that we can learn from Paul's own reflections on his imprisonment. Even though his jailers 
are Roman soldiers. Paul doesn't think of himself first and foremost as a prisoner of Rome. He thinks of himself first and foremost as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul uses that very phrase, prisoner of Jesus Christ. He uses it multiple times in his letters. In Ephesians chapter 3, for example, he describes himself as a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. And likewise, Paul begins his letter to Philemon with these words, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. And then again, in his second letter to Timothy, Paul tells his young protege, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. In each of these instances, it's clear that Paul not only celebrates his imprisonment because of the beneficial effects it's having on his gospel ministry, Paul thinks that the chains he bears are not just Roman shackles. They are the lot which he has been given by Jesus himself. And they are therefore a part of his calling. It's why he can tell Timothy to share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Because for Paul, that that is a natural and necessary part of the mission of the church. Christians are called to bear witness to Jesus, not just by speaking about him, but by sharing in his way of suffering. And one of the reasons that Paul remains so resolute and so steadfast in his mission, even after he is falsely accused and wrongly imprisoned, that's why Paul can remain so steadfast. As you read the final chapters of Acts, one thing you'll notice is just how calm and how steady Paul seems amidst all that's happening to him as he's being led around and nearly starving. Between the jails he's thrown in and the near-death experiences he faces, the slander that he endures, you would expect him to show some anger or irritation or fear, but it doesn't happen. Luke's portrait of Paul in these final eight chapters is a portrait of a man with unshakable confidence, it seems. Unshakable confidence in what he is doing and why. You know, it reminds me of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Like the Apostle Paul, Bonhoeffer also felt that he had a distinct sense of calling and mission in service to Jesus. Like the Apostle Paul, he also found himself in prison. And like Paul, Bonhoeffer also wrote a number of letters from prison, reflecting on his own experience. And not all of these letters share Paul's unshakable sense of confidence or thanksgiving or joy. Bonhoeffer experienced greater doubt and fear than Paul, it seems. But he also had a great ministry there. And as he was in prison, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he reflected on how to remain steadfast in such a situation. 
What did it require to remain steadfast in that condition? And this is what he said. Who stands fast? Only the man whose final standard is not his reason, his principles, his conscience, his freedom, or his virtue, but who is ready to sacrifice all this when he is called to obedient and responsible action in faith and in exclusive allegiance to God. The responsible man, the one who tries to make his whole life an answer to the question and call of God. And the example of people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the Apostle Paul, they present a great challenge to us as Christians today. What Paul endured as a missionary, his suffering, his imprisonment, he regarded that as a natural consequence of his calling. He was called to preach the gospel, to bear witness to Jesus, and he assumed that that would include suffering. And that didn't surprise Paul. After all, Jesus himself said as much. He told his followers that they should expect to suffer, just as he did. But, you know, for for Christians today, at least in the United States, this all seems very foreign. We experience very little in the way of suffering like Paul. And if you're anything like me, you tend not to react very well when it comes your way. I certainly don't celebrate the prospect of slander or suffering as Paul did. But why is that? Is it because you and I, we've simply grown too fond of comforts? Do, you, do, do we have an inordinate love of worldly things, as the prayer book puts it? Well, probably, but I'm not sure that that explains it entirely. After all, if Dietrich Bonhoeffer is right, what enabled Paul to remain steadfast in his chains wasn't that he took no pleasure in worldly comforts. What enabled Paul to endure was his clear and unwavering sense of calling. He was, as Bonhoeffer put it, a responsible man, a man whose life was lived entirely in response to the call of God. Paul was a man on mission. And because of that, he didn't despair, even as he was falsely accused, wrongly imprisoned, he could do what he encouraged the Philippians to do, rejoice in the Lord always. In another of his letters, 1 Corinthians, Paul tells early Christians that they should imitate him as he himself imitated Christ. I think if there's one lesson to take away from Paul's imprisonment, this experience, this example we have in the last eight chapters of the book of Acts of a faithful apostle in chains. I think if there's one lesson to take away, then it is that lesson that he gave to those Christians in Corinth. Let us imitate him as he imitated Christ. Mm -hmm.